Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frankly, the energy podcast for founders. I'm your host, Siobhan Clark, where I'll be dealing it straight to you from entrepreneurs who have scaled and failed, investors who are passionate and seen it all, and leading tech voices that are looking to build moonshots to change the way we live. So, hello, everybody. It's Tom Gray here, CTO at Launchpad, back again for another Frankly podcast in our series. And I'll be talking to another technical member of the Launchpad portfolio. And today I'm really excited to be joined by Arabella from Photek. Arabella, could you introduce yourself? Hi, Tom. Great to be here with you. And my name is Arabella. I'm currently working at Photek. I've been in Photek for a short period only and in the UK for well over 13 years. I'm originally from Portugal and that's where I started my journey into technology, mainly IT side of things, and then moved into telecoms and now back at my origins in IT. Wonderful. And could you tell us a little bit more about what you do at Fotec, Arabella? Currently, I'm the IT and security manager at Fotec. It's quite a broad role. Some days are very hands-on, sorting out issues with accounts and applications, looking at security for our new product or our IT stack, while other days I'm kind of future scoping, thinking about all the new solutions and IT changes that we're going to bring in to enhance the experience for our employees. Brilliant. I think it's an area that's often a little bit neglected in early stage businesses, but actually super important in terms of being able to get everybody collaborating and everybody working together smoothly and securely, I guess. Definitely. And when you talk about IT, a lot of people think about the computers and your outlook and teams. And that is just the tip of the iceberg because it is effectively your employee experience and enabling everyone to do their job to their best abilities and can very easily become a barrier to productivity, to collaboration. So it's really important to keep things updated moving forward with security. It's the sooner you start thinking about that and building in the basics, the easier it becomes because you're already preparing yourself for anything that will be thrown your way as you grow and scale and build more products. Something quite difficult to retrofit as well afterwards in my experience. We touched a little bit on this before, but I'd love to know a little bit more, I guess, about the journey that you've been on. What's your career has led you to this point, Arabella? So one thing that not a lot of people know about me is that when I was growing up, I wanted to be a fashion designer <laughs> I know that is awesome a little, a little bit should of a, have done that <laughs> maybe my parents didn't quite think I would be able to kind of feed myself it wasn't really a promising career future at the time but I was also quite interested in tech I was the one setting up our satellite dish receiver at home and tuning it and sorting out all those things so that was kind of my fallback plan to get some education in science and then potentially you know I might start a little bit of fashion designing in the in the part time it never really came to fruition after all this time I don't know there's still time I can a career pivot at some point but I really started getting into the technology side of things when I had to do my A-levels and selected a professional kind of technical education 
education that was available at the time. Very much enjoyed the hands-on side of it and I had a really good opportunity to do an apprenticeship as soon as I finished my equivalent to A-levels here and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go to university or not so I really went into the workforce for, for two years and that gave me quite a different perspective of what actually school versus real world work was about and really spurred me on to continue studying. So I did go to university, a very broad subject, mainly computer science, but specializing in knowledge and language engineering, which was a lot of AI, neuroscience, linguistic, all sorts of subjects. And from... Super interesting. Yeah, it was really the only thing that caught my eye at the time. I didn't just mm. want to do the standard computer science slash informatics course. I really wanted to learn a little bit more about how the human brain works, how technology can help in the real world. So it was a strenuous time, <laughs> but I learned I learned a lot. And unfortunately, there was not a lot of applications in the professional world for what I studied. So I ended up in a consultancy company working in telecoms in Portugal, and that that's what brought me to the UK to collaborate with the UK home base in telecoms projects. And that was my area for quite a few years, after which I gradually started moving into the mobile applications, web, e-commerce, all that. I did quite a lot of program delivery for telecoms, now techco company, and then decided I really wanted to get back to hands-on and bring in all my background of building applications, building teams to help smaller companies scale up and really go for those big moonshots. And I know this is a subject that you're passionate about, Arabella, but how do you feel that we, as an industry, prepare people for a career in technology, in your opinion and experience? Throughout the years, I've worked with a lot of apprentices and graduates, multiple apprentices and graduates in my teams in the last six, seven years. And one of the things that I started noticing was that some of them fell into it almost by chance. And I don't think it's an industry. I wouldn't call it problem. But it's wider than that. I was very fortunate that I was in a school that was sponsored by a company that wanted to build the talent. And therefore, the path into an apprenticeship was very easy. But quite a lot of times, especially for some backgrounds, that option isn't there or it's thought not to be. And that I think is where everything fails. And schools, educational bodies, they are doing more work towards that. But I don't think it, it is enough. And I think we're falling more and more behind. So a friend of mine shared a quote from Carl Sagan a few weeks ago that stuck to my mind, where it said that we arranged a global civilization in which the most crucial element finally depend on science and technology. We've also arranged things so that almost no one understands science and technology. That's a prescription for disaster. And that is, unfortunately, after so many years, after Carl Sagan said that, we're still in that position. We're still struggling to really have that tipping point moment in quite a lot of the challenges that we face today, where we can really use science and technology to resolve it. Thank you. It's really interesting. And actually, I 
was reading an article the other day that was saying that one of the unexpected side effects, I guess, of the COVID pandemic has been to start to make people a little bit more aware of science, hopefully in a positive way. I would never have expected to see statistics and virology being mainstream topics. But I suppose that's the shift that you're talking about, isn't it? Is that where those things do become and all the millions of other topics in science do become more mainstream topics for discussion and not now sort of something that's the preserve of a few, right? Indeed. And there is still, unfortunately, a little bit of a view that you have to have a special talent in order to be able to succeed in science, math, right. technology, etc., which is really not true. And it alienates people from certain backgrounds and certain life experiences where they've not had the role models or the access to that type of information. So it's really important for each one of us that is involved in science and technology careers to be open, to create the opportunities and to really break down those unconscious bias and stereotype because diversity isn't really only about gender or race. It's about cognitive abilities. It's about different backgrounds. All that gives you a different perspective. And without those different perspectives working together, you, you never really get that big innovation, those big changes. Yeah, and there have been quite a lot of interesting examples, haven't there, of, you know, those biases being built into products just because there's not that diversity of people creating the products often it doesn't adequately reflect the diversity of the people using the products. Is that fair in your experience? Yes, there are a lot of examples of, especially if you go to mobile app and websites, which is something that is kind of everywhere nowadays. You know, quite a lot of people have smartphones and access to a computer. And if you have a certain disability, it's very difficult to navigate that a little bit like security, funny enough, it's not at the forefront when these things are set up and it alienates people from technology because if they can't access something fundamental like a banking website or their local council website, then I could even think that they could build a website themselves. And accessibility, a bit like security, I guess, is often something that's added in as a last minute afterthought or sort of seen almost as a an arduous extra burden being placed on the engineering team. But somebody once made a really interesting point to me before, which was that actually, if you make a website more accessible, it actually benefits everybody and actually makes it easier to use for just about everybody. And I suppose maybe that's the shift that has to happen, isn't it? Is to see that you're not trying to design for a one typical sort of user profile. You're trying to design for anybody who wants to be able to use that application. And it's it's a really interesting point that you make, Arabella, is that if it's obvious that that technology wasn't built for a particular demographic, then it's inevitable that demographic are not going to see themselves as being the sorts of people who can build that technology. I guess that's a legacy that could last for years. Yes, in a certain way, we fell into it. And there's been a lot of technological development in all sorts of areas. But as human beings, one interesting thing that we do is that we really overcomplicate things most times. And that really works against us. Because if you're making a website very accessible, you are also making it very usable. And you simplify the journeys, you simplify the user experience, the user interface, you pick a certain range of 
collars, for example, which I don't find certain combinations offensive or disruptive, but other people with cognitive disabilities will find. So it, thinking about that from the start will have a lot of benefits down the line. But as you said, it's not something that is at the forefront. It tack on at the end and it really can alienate people. Do you see it as being a situation that's improving, would you say? Or is it a situation that's kind of stable and it's the status quo? I mean, clearly more could be done, but do you see reasons to be positive or reasons to be optimistic? One interesting thing that really came out of COVID times, as uh, we now call it, <laughs> hopefully soon it will be, uh, <laughs> as we go back into more of a normal living, as some people call it, these things have really picked up pace because we all moved on to an online, a virtual world. And people have started talking more about it. And with the availability of online groups where everyone can start a group, everyone can rally other people together, it is becoming more of a topic and bringing people together to bring that change in. If it's going to keep pace, I'm not sure because unfortunately it may just be one of those things that once we go back to the so-called normal, we just fall back into the old habit. But there has definitely been quite a little more discussion and being virtual also has opened the discussion across time zones and across borders because you don't all have to go and attend an event online. I've been on so many events that are held locally, let's just say in the UK, that have never really had an international attendance list, but they do have now and have more engagement and have more allies. So I am hopeful that the change will continue. And I suppose to your point, Arabella, technology can actually be a great leveller as well in a good way. I mean, it could be a very strong force for equality if used right, because it does enable people to be able to access things that perhaps they couldn't access before, be that for reasons of disability or be that for reasons of geography or background or access to resources. Yes, it's not something that in certain areas has been thought as a positive where, you know, the face-to-face -face interaction was preferable to have teams spread across the world because you wouldn't communicate as well or you would lose information. And we've kind of been forced to really think about the way that we interact with people, even face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. you have to adapt and you can achieve the same level of communication and the same level of alignment online if you embrace the technology and if you use it to its capabilities. I guess when you think about startups in particular, I know there's in some circles a school of thought, and I can understand why, that you have very limited resources and you have very big ambitions and goals and you hire the people you know will get the job done. But I suppose that in itself is a very simple and potentially you know, excludes a lot of people. In your experience, how do you counter that? Do you think that it's appropriate in a startup environment to bring in people who perhaps do need to learn? And how do you support those people if you do that? I find it quite interesting because it's almost like the contradiction of what you think a startup is, the environment that a startup is. Most startups, if not all, have come to be born out of this burning desire to do something very different, to disrupt the financial world, to disrupt the technology world, to, to disrupt something, uh, the establishment that 
has been working in a certain way for a long time and there's different products and different experiences but then when it comes to okay we need to grow and we need to really continue building our product then you fall back into what you know and that is to bring only people that you know have experience and know what they're doing and I've done it before so you're almost going against that initial period of the startup, which was to disrupt. And from my experience, experience is important, but it's also fundamental to have an open mind and a desire to learn. So if you meet experienced professionals with inexperienced people, not only young people, but people of different ages, there's quite a lot of career pivot and career changes at the moment. But by mixing the two, you can really, really get that energy and really boost your your product and your ideas because you will have a pool of people that are really thirsty to learn and do and grow i absolutely love that thank you if you want to do something differently why wouldn't you want people who think differently who have different backgrounds and different experiences leading on from that any practical tips from your experience for how to support people maybe people who are less experienced maybe people who are more sort of junior as it were as you bring them into these environments i think you need to keep an open mind and think back to when you started they may or may not have experience of working in a professional environment or even if they have their experience may be a totally different environment from yours. So we sometimes fall into the trap of expectations without necessarily voicing them. So it's really important to get that initial conversation, very open and frank conversation about the way that you work as an individual, the expectations that you have on the other person and keep an open an open flow. There will be things depending on age and experience that you should think of. I've had cases before where very young people needed help with time management and you need to pull yourself back to when you were their age and you came out of school going into a very different environment. What were you wary of and what you wish you would have been told then that would have really helped you. Thank you. And I guess that's good advice for anyone you're managing of any experience, but particularly important in that kind of an environment. Any parting thoughts for the people listening? Is there any kind of call to action or is there anything that you would ask of the people listening that they take away and think about? Think about what you as an individual can bring to the table. It's quite common to feel like you as a single individual can't change the world, but we all need to start somewhere and do a little bit. And if you have 100 people doing a little bit, then that is quite a big change. See where you are today and the people that have given you opportunities to get you where you are and be open to give the same or better opportunity to people that you meet and just be open to different people from different backgrounds. Don't necessarily judge what they can do based on where they've come from, what they've done in the past. Really look for the potential for the future. Thank you so much. It is always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And thank you too to everybody who's listening. Please do check out Fotech's website, which is fotech.com. And as ever, please do feel free to look at BP Launchpad's website, which is itslaunchpad.com. Until next time, thank you. Everybody.